0: Hello, it's the 25th of August. I'm Gary Bowerman. On today's show, I'll be discussing tourism and the climate crisis with our special guest, Alexander Trupp of Sunway University here in Malaysia, who's co-authored a new research paper on this very hot topic. So let's get started. This is the Southeast Asia Travel Show. Hello, wherever you are in the world, and thanks for listening in. It's just me today, as Hannah is taking a short break. Over the next 30 minutes, I'll be discussing tourism and the climate crisis in Asia Pacific with special guest Alexander Trupp, who is the Associate Dean of Research and Postgraduate Studies at the School of Hospitality and Service Management, Sunway University, here in Malaysia. Alex is co-author of a compelling new paper called Tourism Under Climate Crisis in Asia, Impacts and Implications, which, trust me, is well worth a read. So, hi, Alex. Thanks for coming on the show. How are you doing today and where are you right now?
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me here, Gary. I'm fine. I'm still at Sunway University at my office. We have the very beginning of a new semester, so quite busy, many students around It's nice to have face-to-face action at the campus again.
0: So firstly, Alex, tell us a bit more about your role over there at Sunway University and the focus of your teaching and your research.
1: Yeah, in my capacity here as Associate Dean for Research and Postgraduate Studies, one of the focus areas is really to further develop our postgraduate programmes as well as uh, research, including research projects, Uh, which are important uh, for the school and for the overall research uh, culture here. And uh, furthermore, we uh, also would like to further transition to a research-focused institution. In terms of postgraduate programs, we have been quite active in recent years. So in uh, 2020, we started a master's program. It's called Master's in International Hospitality Management. And just at the very beginning of this year, we launched our new PhD program, which is a doctorate in hospitality and tourism, which is a research focused uh, program, which is also focusing and uh, reflecting the five main research areas here at our school, which are just very briefly, uh, hospitality and service management, uh, second, food, health and well-being, third, sustainability in tourism and the service industries. Fourth, events and destination management. And fifth, uh, an area we call mobilities, which uh, looks at the intersections of tourism and migration.
0: Some fascinating subjects there. It's great to uh, to see that really diversifying the program there for, for postgraduate and, and graduate students. Um, you arrived in Malaysia during the pandemic after a bit of a protracted journey. Tell us a little bit more about that before we begin.
1: Yeah, this is actually a very long story, but I try to keep it short. (laughs) So, indeed, I was supposed to start here my new work at Sunway University in Malaysia back in March 2020. At that time, I was just about to end uh, my role as Senior Lecturer at the University of the South Pacific in Fiji. But as you all probably remember, it was about mid of March where uh, Malaysia and the whole world was changing drastically. So what happened just by a very few hours, I missed the so important uh, permit stamps in my passport for myself and, uh, and my wife and we couldn't enter Malaysia as planned by, by the end of March. So we were stuck in uh, Fiji in the South uh, Pacific also because all commercial flights out of Fiji were suddenly canceled by that time. So we had to wait some time and then the European Union organized the so-called uh, recovery, flight, recovery flight, right? Under the uh, theme of bringing Europeans back home. And this way, a little bit later, we eventually made it to Los Angeles because Los Angeles still had um, commercial flights that time to Europe. But then again, the flight was cancelled. Then there were issues with the visa for my wife, who is originally from Thailand. Anyway, two weeks later, we uh, managed to uh, arrive in uh, Austria, in my home country, and we waited almost another five to six months until we could finally enter to Malaysia, which was the first of September 2020. Right? This started with a two weeks hotel uh, quarantine, and then. Finally, we could venture out a little bit of freedom uh, despite MCO and various regulations and restrictions here. So that was the uh, very uh, start here for me in uh, Malaysia back in September 2020.
0: That's a pretty dramatic story, Alex, but it's great that you're here and it's great that you hit the ground running. I know that you've been doing some really, really impressive work over there and really trying to to generate uh, new ways of of looking at all the different aspects of of tourism, hospitality management studies that you're doing over there at Sunway. That's some great work. What you said there actually segues very nicely into my first question, which is to look a little bit about tourism research from an academic perspective, which has kind of assumed a higher profile, particularly in the media during the pandemic. How do you see that tourism research will continue to change and evolve? And are there specific areas of tourism research that you think need a stronger focus?
1: Yeah, thanks for this interesting question. And it is interesting to to hear and see that tourism and hospitality research gained, as you said, a, a higher profile in the media during the pandemic, even though maybe for reasons which were often not so positive, right, such as the Breakdown of international tourism, the closure of businesses and tourist attractions, and also the ways uh, local communities, including the informal sector, have been affected by this economic and health crisis. But if you ask about um, tourism uh, research and tourism as a discipline, I would like to add here that tourism as an academic discipline, especially if compared to sociology, geography or anthropology is a rather young discipline and certainly uh, needs to evolve further both on a theoretical and practical uh, level. For example, um, let's think about the last uh, two uh, decades right? until the pandemic started. We indeed saw a very sharp rise of Asian tourism as well as tourism from other parts of the world. So we can clearly say that tourism ceased to be a primarily Western phenomenon. Yet, if we look at the concepts and theories, we predominantly find about tourist motivation, tourist behavior, many of them we may call Eurocentric. What I mean is that they were conducted by Western researchers and often the data collection was also based on uh, being conducted with Western tourists. Here, somehow, a lot has changed in recent years, also thanks to the good development of universities and research institutions in in Asia, also other parts of the world. But we still need more research to better understand the motivations, needs and practices of tourists from uh, other parts of uh, the world. Um, Other areas um, which certainly require further attention, in my opinion, is how the pandemic has impacted on our travel intentions on hygiene practices on perceived risks Uh, and another observation many colleagues uh, share is that the pandemic has further accelerated certain processes which already started before the pandemic but now they have become even more critical even more important let's think about digitalization of tourism and hospitality, right? be it online retailing, uh, touchless services, robotics and automation, face recognition technologies uh, and many related developments. And then we have the big big area of sustainability and planetary health and maybe the pandemic also showed us uh, how vulnerable we are on social economic but also ecological environmental
0: levels. Yeah, that's a neat summary, Alex. I agree with all of those. And I think a lot of the things that you said there, you know, there's, there's a lot more to be researched, both from the, the, the academic side, but also from the travel industry side. A lot of these issues are going to overlap in the coming months and years. You've teed up very nicely my next question once again. So thanks for that. You've recently written a paper or co-written a paper called Tourism Under Climate Crisis, Impacts and Implications, which is just published in the very highly regarded Journal of Sustainable Tourism. So tell us a bit more about that research project. What were the motivations and why right now?
1: Yeah, thanks for this question. And I have to say in general, I find the relationship between tourism and climate change an interesting one, because tourists are somehow culprits and victims at the same time, right? Tourists and their activities through transport, uh, through tourist consumption, contribute to the production of greenhouse ga- gases and uh, therefore also human-induced climate change. If we look at the global data tourism account, depends at which dest- estimations we are looking at, but uh, it probably accounts for um, 8 to 11 percent of global greenhouse gas emissions. And, uh, within this especially, uh, transport, aviation in particular play crucial roles. And, uh, through these travel and tourist consumption uh, activities, also many tourist areas are affected and they may lose their attraction, right? If we think about beaches, uh, which get eroded due to rising sea levels or higher waves, or if we think about winter tourism and, uh, Uh, melting of snow and uh, glaciers, right? These are also developments which have severe impacts on tourism and the tourism industry. So anyhow, back to this paper. It was over a year ago when I was approached by my wonderful uh, co-authors who initially started the idea for this uh, paper, right? One of them is Yan Fang, who is based in China. And Jan Hess, who at that time uh, was living in Vietnam, and later on Siya Omar uh, joined us, who is based in the uh, in the US. But all of us have a close relationship to Asia in the sense that we were either living or uh, working there. And the idea of the paper really was to provide an overview, a kind of status quo assessment of tourism and climate change in Asia which um, yeah, could be potentially published in a, in a high-ranked uh, journal. So we were aware, right, of course, of this uh, severe impact climate change has on the region and also that um, research still has been limited.
0: Yeah, that's a nice intro, Alex. It's a, it's a very accessible paper. It's very easy to read. And we'll put a link up on our show notes because I recommend everybody takes a look at it. There's plenty to discuss from the paper, Alex, but one of, the, one of the initial comments that you made, that you wrote in the paper, I thought was very interesting. And you said, and I quote, climate change and tourism in Asia remain poorly understood. Why do you think that is and what should be done?
1: Well, I think, uh, or we think uh, many countries in Asia have put emphasis on developing their national economies. And accordingly, questions of socio-cultural, as well as environmental sustainability have often, or for quite some time, been seen kind of secondary. Even academia, as we show in the paper, just really started to focus on climate change and tourism issues over the last 15 years, which is a very short history compared to many other research areas. Um, however, I would also say that we can uh, observe that awareness towards climate change is increasing globally and uh, in the region. Um, in doing so, of course, uh, education at the different levels uh, plays an important uh, level. It's important also to raise awareness because this may translate into uh, action. And by action, I also mean the behavior change of, of consumers but also in tourists, right? But also the stronger involvement and support from the private sector, the tourism industry, the public sector, the different governmental organizations, including national tourist organizations, the media, and eventually the, the society at large. So at other, in other words, we need a collective effort to reduce greenhouse uh, gas emissions. And uh, what can be done is a a big, big uh, question. But uh, certainly, uh, on the one hand, uh, we need to look into uh, investment and development of uh, new technologies, as well as renewables, so that we can uh, decarbonize uh, if we think about tourism, especially the transport uh, sector. But at the same time, it's important and maybe the most powerful thing we all can do is to achieve some uh, change in, in our behavior, maybe also to think about uh, uh, degrowth and different ways of consuming.
0: Two great phrases there, collective actions and degrowth, something that the travel industry is going to have to really consider, both of those. Before we continue talking about the, the paper, and there's, there's a lot more I want to dig into, Alex, I want to just take a little bit of a step back to your early career which you referenced at the beginning of the interview. You spent four years working, researching and traveling in Fiji and the Pacific Islands, where the impacts of climate change are sharp everyday realities. Just tell us a bit more about what you experienced there.
1: Yeah, very true. I spent almost four years in Fiji, where the University of the South Pacific, where the main campus uh, is located. And during that time, I also had the chance to visit various Pacific Islands or island states, including Vanuatu, the Solomon Islands, Tonga or Kiribati. And for some of these uh, countries, uh, or territories, tourism plays a very significant role for their economies, contributing really significant uh, shares to their overall GDP, especially in the Cook Islands, in Vanuatu, but also in Fiji. So uh, tourism plays a very important role, but at the same time um, they are also very vulnerable to the impacts of human-induced climate change. So these small islands really are at the forefront of these impacts, particularly rising sea levels and uh, increased intensity and frequency of natural disasters, especially cyclones uh, and floods. And as you can imagine, for small islands, especially those which are low-lying, right, having very low uh, altitudes, uh, these are especially vulnerable. These are, for example, Tuvalu and uh, uh, Kiribati, where a small rise in sea level can already pose quite significant uh, threat to the infrastructure and the people's safety. And therefore, also, my impression was that in... The Pacific Islands now compared to continental Asia, there's somehow a stronger awareness towards uh, climate change. And I remember when I visited the low lying North uh, Tarawa in the small island state of Kiribati, one local islander asked me, do you think that our island will still exist uh, in 20 years? Which somehow for me also really reflects this, yeah, this uh, everyday consideration of how a future in such islands uh, could look like which are strongly um, yeah endangered by climate change
0: yeah that's a really interesting and a very poignant point okay so back to the paper Alex and you address tourism and climate change from a pan-asia perspective now we know this is a huge a very vast continent and you separate it out into separate areas so you look at north and east asia southeast asia south asia and west asia and central asia this is a as I said, a vast continent and the challenges of climate change will be different. Just tell us about what you, why you decided to look at the whole region rather than the specific parts.
1: Yeah, very good point indeed. And you're right. Uh, indeed, it's such a big and extremely diverse uh, continent and region, right? Geographically, economically, culturally. Uh, politically, and this indeed was one of the big uh, challenges. But in the end, we decided to, to divide Asia into the different geographical subregions, uh, as you also mentioned. Uh, we found that, uh, in terms of um, research focus, most available uh, studies deal with the subregions of East, Southeast, and South Asia and that less research has been conducted in uh, west, central and northern parts of Asia. In regards to challenges uh, and issues, uh, we can see that east and parts of Southeast Asia, which uh, also host many countries that have have had rapidly developing uh, economies and industries, uh, including tourism over the last few decades right this also explains to some extent their very large greenhouse gas emissions they have been uh, producing and at the same time the the very urgent need to decarbonize just for example in uh, china china had an average growth rate of over seven percent in tourism related greenhouse gas emissions from from 2000 to 2015 right and uh, if we look at the whole asia pacific uh, region uh, also here we have steady growth rates but it's important to mention that there are five countries and these are china india japan korea and russia which generate 80% of the total greenhouse gas emissions of the Asia Pacific region, right? So you can see there are certain focus areas where uh, carbon emissions play a much uh, greater role than in other socioeconomically less developed countries or regions.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a good point. And you you referenced earlier, which I thought was a really good point. That just the diversity of impacts. On, on travel and tourism, whether it's winter tourism, whether it's coastal tourism. I wanted to bring it over to Southeast Asia a little bit because I wanted to ask you about which areas from your research of travel and tourism do you think will be most vulnerable? And I would guess that in Southeast Asia, because so much of the travel and tourism here is based around coastal areas, uh, low lying coastal areas, that's going to be a huge area where work needs to be done immediately, but certainly over the coming years.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is uh, certainly true, right? If you really, look into southeast asia with the exception of uh, laos which is a landlocked country all other countries in southeast asia have uh access to uh the sea we find many low lying areas uh, also a lot of the population in uh, southeast asia as well as in east asia live really very uh, close to the sea we also find big megacities bangkok for instance uh, as well as many others right and Generally, if we talk about vulnerability and uh, climate change, right? On the one hand, uh, we talk about the countries or areas uh, exposure or sensitivity to these impacts. But at the same time, we also need to consider its ability to adapt, right, or respond to these negative impacts of climate change. And also here we have the issue that socioeconomically more and powerful countries have more options to respond compared to those which are less developed. And maybe an interesting index. There are many different indices one could quote, but the one I am now referring to is the so-called long-term climate risk index, uh, published by the organization German Watch. And this is showing that uh, the countries Myanmar, Philippines, Bangladesh, Vietnam, and Thailand belong to the most vulnerable countries regarding uh, climate risk. And as you said earlier, uh, these are characterized by their uh, long uh, coastal areas and uh, low-lying areas, which indeed puts them under greater
0: risk. Yeah, that's uh, very very poignant once again. You referenced a few moments ago about the major polluters, the carbon emission polluters, and you mentioned those five countries that produce 80% of, of carbon emissions. You focus a specific section on the, in the paper on carbon emissions. What did your research uncover about those related to Southeast Asia?
1: Well, available data shows that indeed the carbon emissions for Southeast Asia have been uh, rising at uh, 5% over the last uh, decades on average, and that this rise was mainly driven by deforestation and changes in land use as well as energy uh, consumption. Right? If you think about deforestation in Southeast Asia, you probably have to raise issues which have been happening on the island of uh, Borneo, right? And even though not all of these uh, developments of deforestation or change in land use and energy consumption are directed or impacted by tourism, uh, some of them are, because tourism activities also contribute directly and indirectly to carbon emissions, right? Directly would be, for instance, through the combustion of petrol for transport, Aviation or other forms of motorized transport or use of energy for air conditioning or other areas, heaters in hotel hotels, but also indirectly, right, where carbon is embodied in products which are bought or consumed by tourists, such as food. It's also the concept of food miles, the transport of food, right, imports, which are often not necessary shopping, accommodation, and many more. And what I still would like to add here, there are uh, several research studies which do show a relationship between tourism and carbon emission. For Malaysia, for example, a study by Ang and uh, associates showed that for every 1% increase in tourism, we have 0.16 increase in carbon emissions. And uh, last point I can uh, make here is to point to the big regional differences we find. Again, between the uh, socioeconomically more uh, advanced economies in countries such as Brunei, Singapore, or Malaysia, which have a quite high per capita emission rate, uh, while those countries which are socioeconomically less developed, Cambodia, Myanmar, for instance, have a rather low per capita emission rate.
0: So you've set out quite a, quite a gloomy scenario, Alex. The the facts and the data really, really state uh, just how much work is needed to be done. So what is being done? What are ASEAN, what are other regional organizations doing to mitigate the impacts of tourism and climate change? Because the urgency is right in front of our faces, isn't it?
1: Um, it is. And well, despite many not so positive news, the, the good news maybe is that um, more and more organizations and institutions at national and at uh, regional uh, levels have um, increasingly acknowledged the importance for uh, climate action. For instance, in the current ASEAN tourism strategic plan, right, running from 2016 to 2025, it's clearly stated that uh, ASEAN tourism needs to become more sustainable and uh, inclusive uh, and also that environmental protection, including climate change, needs to be addressed by working together with official bodies and organizations involving the uh, the industry, also the national tourism organizations, um, to further enhance climate change um, response action. Also important is the Glasgow Declaration for Climate Action in Tourism, which was launched last year, in 2021, at the UN Climate Change Conference, COP26. Uh, This is where some of tourism's biggest businesses have joined governments and destinations in committing to cut emissions in half by 2030 and achieve net zero by 2050 at uh, latest. And importantly, from Asia, several organizations and businesses have joined I cannot name here all of them, but including the Pacific Asia Travel Association, the Asian Ecotourism Network, as well as other businesses from the from the private sector, which at least shows a more um, collective, a more orchestrated uh, approach and more collaboration between the different stakeholders, which will be required to address these big challenges ahead.
0: So having set out the scenario that is is in front of us, Alex, and then discussed a little bit about what's being talked about, what governments and organizations are looking to do, you put a very, very powerful quote into the paper, which says, and I quote, the knowledge and implementation of climate change adaptation strategies and mitigation measures remain primarily descriptive and the urgency of planning in implementation have been ignored. That's quite a strong phrase, particularly the, the phrase there, primarily descriptive. Uh, Why do you think it's taken so long to get these necessary policies in place?
1: Hmm, Yeah, that's a very good uh, point uh, you observed here. We would say that scientifically, there has been strong evidence and also consensus that global climate change is caused by human induced emissions of greenhouse gases. However, and we also showed this in uh, in our paper, even academic attention on tourism and climate change in Asia really just picked up over the last uh, 15 years. Another issue to some extent uh, has been that there are also groups of climate change or global warming deniers at the global stage, including politicians such as the former US president. Uh, lobby groups and others, who um, certainly also slowed down uh, the process at various levels. And uh, maybe initially, there was also the perception that socio-economic development needs to come first. But now there is a broader understanding, uh, I would say, that we won't be able to develop countries and economies and regions in the future if we do not
0: address these issues of climate change. Yeah, that's a really rounded answer, Alex. I wanted to just push that a little bit further in terms of you mentioned there that sort of the research into climate change and tourism is a relatively young uh, discipline. I think you mentioned the last 15 years or so, but it is becoming an urgent priority. Where do you see this will go next? I mean, you've really set out a very, very clear agenda that needs to be looked at. You know, where, where can tourism research go next with this? And, and will you be looking into different areas in future?
1: Yeah, I think, uh, again, there are various dimensions to it. First of all, geographically, right? uh, We could show uh, with our analysis of uh, existing literature that uh, regions in Central, West and North Asia have received less research attention than other parts uh, of Asia, right? Therefore, in these countries and uh, sub-regions More um, basic research, so to say, is also needed to cover various aspects of uh, climate change and tourism issues, including vulnerability assessments of affected communities. In East Asia and parts of Southeast Asia, we could show that greenhouse gas emissions are really high, so we also need to better understand how we can uh, influence, how can we change consumers and tourists' behavior to be able to achieve carbon uh, neutrality by 250? Another important point is um, interdisciplinary collaboration, which is needed, especially the sciences and technologies in developing and adopting carbon-friendly transport and infrastructure, for example. And finally, Action research, which would involve not only classical researchers, but also uh, stakeholders from the public sector, as well as from the tourism businesses who can uh, work together, put their ideas together, and therefore help bridging the so-called gap or divide between theory and practice in the tourism industry.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating, Alex. And as, as you said, you know, you, you, this is a paper that you've been working on over the past year. But before that, this living and working in Fiji and the Pacific Islands, you saw this around you all the time. But actually doing the research for this project, I mean, what did you learn? What did you take away from doing this particular research, looking at across Asia? And was there anything that really jumped out at you, at you uh, during the research process?
1: Yeah, it became uh, even clearer for me, for someone uh, who is uh, living and uh, working in Asia or in the Asia-Pacific region now for for quite a while, um, that certainly, you know, adoptions in um, uh, technology and um, new developments can uh, help us to tackle uh, some of the climate change effects. But the most powerful tool to make a change and impact, I believe, is in our very own uh, behavior. Um, These ideas we mentioned uh, very early today in our discussion uh, on degrowth and really critically thinking, do we really uh, need to travel in person to every conference in every meeting? Um, Do we need to take this domestic flight or is there another way um, we can meet uh, with uh, stakeholders, or um, do we engage more in online uh, meetings and conferences as we uh, learned during this uh, pandemic? So there is a, an, a responsibility uh, both at the individual and the collective level, I would say.
0: Brilliant. It's been fascinating to talk with you, Alex. As I mentioned, we'll put a link up to the paper so that people can read it around the world. There's so much there to take away, uh, but you've absolutely beautifully explained uh, the reasons behind it, the motivations and some of the the research findings that you, you came up with, and also uh, the steps that need to be taken going forward. So, Alex, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Gary. So that brings us to a close for this week's show. Our grateful thanks to Alex for sharing his research-based insights with us today. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and don't forget to send us your thoughts and your comments on anything I discussed with Alex or anything that we missed out. Drop us a message on our LinkedIn page at the Southeast Asia Travel Show. Meanwhile, as always, you can catch up with the Southeast Asia Travel Show's full back catalog on our website, the seasiatravelshow.com. And that's a wrap for today. Hannah and I will be back next week when we will welcome a special guest that I can promise you won't want to miss. Stay tuned for more details. We'll see you next time.